the end is near, as they say. Um, we're going to um, begin now talking about spiritual leadership and this um, yellowish piece of paper um, called Duties and Character of a Spiritual Leader is where we're going to is where we're going to begin. I thought you were going to put the music on. Thank you. Is that legible at all? No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, I could pull that back, but that's about as far as we go. Uh, you have this uh, online, and I'm not really, I'm not asking you to read these names, but I just want to give you a orientation to what the ministry map looks like at CPC. I'm starting here uh, by saying, look, you're talking about leadership. You're in a conference about leadership. Um, that doesn't what, – what that is is not just individual leaders um, operating with leadership gifts and leadership skills in a church. Uh, that – there is an organization and an organism where everybody fits together, that we serve and – and hold roles. I mean, this is the way uh, Scripture talks about it. This is the way um, Paul certainly talked about leadership uh, as part of a body. And he, when he differentiated gifts um, and roles, he used these metaphors um, so that we're part of a, a whole. The session um, is uh, who are charged um, with uh, the, the role and responsibility for leading the church. Uh, making decisions, um, ultimately the burden falls there. Um, the Women's Leadership Board uh, is uh, not just a discipling um, arm of the, the church to, to help disciple women, but is also essential um, input and guidance. Uh, as a session makes decisions, um, they weigh heavily what the the um, shepherd women um, say, and sometimes we, we will often take votes um, together, and then you know, of course, differentiating who's saying what, but but also getting a sense as to what the whole church is, um, the the will of the whole church is. Um, but their but their wisdom has been invaluable. It's I don't know, it's been six years or so, or something like that, since the WB has come aboard. It's been you know, one of the best things we've done here is to is to institute that servant leader board has um, taken on many of the diaconal roles uh, of the church, um, ser- but they're servant leaders. They're not separate. Uh, oftentimes, uh, the concept of a deacon can be um, in contrast to leadership. Um, but this isn't contrast. This is them, uh, each one, each member, to be a member of the SLB, the Servant Leader Board. You have to be leading a ministry team. You have to be doing um, leadership in some capacity. And so every person there is a leader. Um, you can't be on the board unless you, you do have um, ministry responsibility that you take, uh, that, that you're called to and you serve in. We list under this the standing teams. Now, these are the uh, 
the SLB in their teams, and then a few ad hoc teams that um, that are just occasional and um, from now and again will be used. Um, now, everybody that leads those teams reports to somebody on the servant leaderboard um, so that they have oversight even of, of that. Um, then we have our Sunday school teachers. Again, um, the idea that um, the training here is part of what qualifies you to be uh, a teacher. You heard that that anecdote that Preston gave earlier about how many times we, we face counseling situations where people have gone off the rails with their faith or just something that they have always believed that has been real toxic to how they've lived their lives, that it started in some way in a Sunday school teacher looking for a shortcut or maybe not themselves being trained. Um, we will not apologize for the depth at which we want our, our Sunday school teachers trained. And as a parent, um, I want to hold our church to doing that. I want my, my kids to not just rely on me, um, but to have, have also what I'm saying at home be reinforced here. Um, so they're getting not just shortcuts, not just things that are fun, but, um, but ways that, it, that really teach them uh, godliness. So here's an example of it. And then we do have some coordinators um, from, for Goatville, and, and um, we even have some coordinators for, for things like um, Grab Pro that sort of help um, in a secondarily way lead these ministries. Um, community groups, this is the front lines of what happens in ministry in this church. If you aspire to be a community group leader, um, you are, uh, you're sort of doing a lot of holistic care. This is where most of our mercy happens, is in the midst of community groups. This is where a lot of fellowship happens. This is, and you know, we, we don't, they are um, proportioned geographically. We never tell people where to go. Um, but doing that uh, allows for a certain grouping of people um, who have similar idols and similar things that need to be addressed and similar prayer requests. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of wisdom behind uh, how these groups function and, uh, and the health of them. And then... Um, yeah, really not helpful. Um, again, these are, these are things you have, but these are the qualifications, um, both ministerially and, um, uh, you know, sort of spiritually, the, the godliness factors and also the duties that are there. Um, if you aspire to be a small group facilitator or a teacher or a servant leader board member or an elder um, or a WB member, uh, go to these files. Um, this is what it takes. This is a high calling, and it's supposed to be a high calling. Um, and that, that'll get us into exactly what, what I want to start with, which is this idea of qualifications and, and character and duties. It begins with exemplary character. 1 Timothy um, 4, 16. Keep close, of, keep close watch on your life and your doctrine. Um, Those two things essentially go together. Um, your doctrine will be f- undercut significantly. Everything you teach will be undercut significantly if you show moral failing as a leader. That is not to say that you will be perfect. It's not to looking on people that, that, um, that have escaped blame. 
but there is a fundamental um, connection between um, what's called ethos, uh, the credibility of what you can say um, with your, your ability to live it out. Um, it's, it's very easy to say, um, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Yet, saying all that, what that doesn't mean is that we're to live uh, a false life or even uh, present a picture of ourselves as escaping all sin or mastering all sin. Um, rather, instead, it, it says that as leaders, we need to show a dependence on the gospel. We need to know that when we sin, when we stumble, that we don't move into despair, um, that we don't cover it up, that we don't hide from it, but that we repent of it and that we receive the forgiveness of Christ and that we, um, we move in our assurance of salvation from that. That's really, that's really essential for all leaders to, um, to say that we live gospel-centered lives, not moralistic, perfect lives. Um, so, so a reliance on, on the gospel is key to, um, to being a spiritual leader and is, is part of that life and doctrine. It's where your life and your doctrine come together. Uh, the commitment. It's a serious thing. James 3.1, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that those who teach will be judged more strictly. Boy, that passage hardly ever gets read, right? Um, there's a lot about um, being a leader that can provide worldly uh, benefits of being praised or being looked up to or being admired, being given certain advantages. Um, Paul wants to warn us, or sorry, James wants to warn us that um, there's that God is watching, <laughs> and that there's a judgment that's more severe. Um, so I, I applaud you for not running <laughs> when I read that verse. Um, hopefully, the Lord's calling you to be a spiritual leader, but know that that's also calling you to take responsibility for other people. These are not things that are just individualistic, where you, we think about being a an elder or being a, a ministry leader, and it just revolves around yourself. These are things that um, that have, by necessity are going to uh, incorporate other people. When Jesus says, you know, um, it'd be better if you hung a millstone around your neck and were tossed into the river than you stunt, let one of these little ones stumble, um, he shows you how passionate he is about the fact that um, what we teach and how we live is, is uh is a high calling for leaders. Um, you know, we're, we're not going to, if we were to say, you know what, um, boy, these, the idea that we teach a 23-week class on confessional theology and then ask you to come and sit through how many hours was last night and how many hours today and you guys are hungry. Um, if we, honestly, if we were to say, you know, let's make it nice and cushy and you can do this on the couch somewhere and in half hour you'll be trained to be a leader. Uh, you know, this isn't, this isn't that hard, but, it, but it, there's a little bit of, uh, look, this is a high calling. It should, there's a, a sense in which um, to treat it lightly is to miss the point, um, is to, to expect it to be easy and without sacrifice. Um, if, you, if you can't sacrifice for a training, you're not going to be able to sacrifice for the things that are called in ministry, um, that you shouldn't be in the in the position to uh, uh, 
to have that crossroads in front of you where it's much easier to go one way um, and you have to turn that down and go the, go the, the way Christ is leading you and leading the church. Um, that, is, that is what leadership needs, and that's what the church needs as leaders. Um, it is a high calling that takes ministry seriously and believes that it's worth your best efforts and your highest priority. I can speak for, uh, I think, everybody who's served in ministry um, for any extent of time and who has sacrificed that it is worth it. <laughs> it is worth it. You see lives changed. You see people come to Christ. You see um, people lifted from the burden of sin. Um, you come to God in dependence and, and see him at work. It is worth it. Um, so there's a, there's a beauty in it. And there's also a blessing. First Timothy 5 um, responds, uh, uh, reminds us that there's a blessing for those who serve in, in leadership. We experience some of that even now. Um, okay, so, so more practical from that high view, um, it is not just a commitment to a particular area service, but to support the entire mission of the church. Part of this means working with other leaders, being attentive to the greater body and where the body's going. Um, and, of course, this will impact scheduling, recruiting, problem solving, just to name a few. Um, what I've found uh, as a general principle in organizations, and especially I've seen in the church, is that uh, a lot of people are willing to serve, willing to sacrifice, willing to do a lot in ministry for the purpose of ministry, um, but really want to do it by themselves. Um, So that if they lead a team, the easiest thing to do is to just control all the things that you need to do on your team. And it becomes, it's amazing how the short term, it feels like it's just going to be easier if you just do it yourself. Um, but what, uh, how, how much dysfunction that will bring to a church when what you really need to do is, is uh, see your piece as a greater whole of everything else the church is doing. Uh, working with a session, working with, I mean, look, Presbyterianism gets a lot of grumbling. Oh, it's got to go through committee. Oh, it's got to be approved by a session. Oh, this, you can't, can't we just do this thing? Now, look, we try not to micromanage a lot of things, but, um, but part of what's behind that grumble is um, this thing that I just, I just want to lead this one piece. But if we lead the one ministry apart from everything else, um, one, we're going to start to see fissures happen in the church. Um, but two, it's, it's never going to really, that, um, you know, that, that piece of ministry is like the body, uh, a toe and you know it's gonna it very functional as part of a body really kind of gross severed and off on its own you know there the has that has to only find its function as a as greater what everything else is is doing is that is that clear does that make, make sense for everybody I, I do find that that's probably the hardest thing about the the sacrifice and the commitment is to say it's got to connect with everything else that's happening in a church that it's a part of an organization, not just part of what my personal ministry can be and do. Um, okay. Part of what that will mean is attending key events. A big part of leadership is just showing up. I said that earlier, said it yesterday. Um, just showing up, realizing that Christ is at work in you. Um, you know, um, if you want to be an elder, if you want to, uh, 
be a servant leader and you don't want to come to any of the like big events we do as a church, that sends a powerful message to a lot of other people. Um, if you're part of, you know, even if you're part of a community group and you want to see yourself as a leader of that and you just don't show up to things, that communicates to other people that it's not worth your time. Now, maybe there's a reason why that, um, that we, we shouldn't be doing a certain event, talk to leadership. Maybe, maybe there's a burden that's, that's unreasonable. Um, but just showing up legitimizes the program, makes visitors feel comfortable and welcome, builds trust that um, the, the program has value in itself. Um, so a lot of leadership is showing up and also just showing up and who knows who's there going through whatever. Sometimes you're saying, oh, I've heard spiritual leadership 30 times and yet I'm going to show up anyway because maybe somebody's life is breaking down and you're there and in a situation where people are hearing something for the first time and God will use you. So some of it is really just showing up. Um, transitions. Again, many of you aren't in leadership positions now. That's why you're here. Um, but when you get in, see it not only as what you're doing, but also how this can be transferable to others, transitioning um, to the next level. Start discipling, pouring yourself into somebody else, um, and taking responsibility. Um, when the church has a building like we do, and when we have multiple staff like we do, it's very easy to think of the church as an institution. Um, in an institution, who is responsible for every event? The institution, okay. And the institution, that's pretty nameless, right? Yeah, the administrators, the leaders, right? In an organism, everybody has responsibility. You know, we were doing events, and people were like, well, you guys didn't think of, of uh, was it nursery or child care, something like that for something, or you need, to, you need to take care of the child care. You know, we're asking, do you really want me to take, you know, like, I'll do. I've served in nursery and, and child care, but there's a sense in which, we, as a whole, need to start taking responsibility for things. Where, where I see this in transition is someone serving in a leadership position, and they say, you know what? I just really don't feel like leading this position this year. See you guys. Can you find somebody else to lead this? What is that saying? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, it can it can have some entitlement to it. I mean, that's 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 a real cynical way. I'm, that's wasn't going that cynical, but <laughs> thank you for that. Yeah. Sense of call. There is a sense of call and personal, but I think it's saying something bigger about the church and how you understand it as an institution. This idea, well, you know, what they can plug somebody else in, or or this this institution can appoint somebody else for something like that. That's that's kind of scary. Look, I'm not calling any. There's the, every, every, I think it's a tendency for everybody to sort of treat it like that as a certain size. And, but, yeah.
gets back to this temple idea that you know that example doesn't reflect that everyone is partaking of Christ's interest, and therefore there's a kind of the corporate model has this idea that it's a hierarchical organization bureaucracy. Yeah. And you can just bump it up the chain of command. Yeah, corporate's maybe a better word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you bump it up. Oh, I can't. I can, I'm the key leader of life, but I can't do it. So I'll call up the administrator and, and ask her or a manager to find someone to do for me. Well, that's that's a that's a very corporate-esque way of thinking about the church, which is opposite what the church is. Right. Your point is, I think, really good. No, we are all sharing in the presence and ministry of Christ together as a as an organic communion of saints. And that communion, therefore, to do that is to compromise that very communion. It's actually the great fellowship yeah. in, in so many ways. You're saying, okay, and, and it, it, it violates the whole body metaphor that Paul gave. Right after talking about, think about how Romans 12 introduces spiritual leadership. Offer yourself as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. He's talking about temple leadership. And then he talks about everyone who has gifts that differ, and he relates it, of course, to the organic body of Christ's metaphor. So for me to say, well, I'm not going to be a hand, is probably then asking a nose to act like a hand. But that's what I'm trying to say. Yep. In the most graphic way. To do what you just said is saying, hey, nose, could you be a hand? Yep. Rather than taking responsibility for that and extending my hand and finding other hands to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Taking ownership for being a hand. Yeah, and this gets down to the core. The church is not Preston. The church is not me. The church is not the session even. The church is, is the body of Christ. It's us working together. Yeah, yeah. So I think that I think that's good. And that's why I, oftentimes I say people get into leadership and they say, think about transition now. Think about what, you know, or take responsibility for it in the sense. Uh, we hear all the time people feel um, burned out in ministry. Well, a lot of times what's what's the culprit in burnout is is not necessarily how much you do is how much you uh, do by yourself, and then you know you get to a point where it's easier to manage it myself, and then it becomes overwhelming, and then I just have to pull out. Whereas if you're starting from the very beginning, bringing others in, thinking about um, discipling, transitioning, um, then that transition is already set up where. You know, and, and who knows? You could be in that position for, for years, and that's fine. Um, but when, when it becomes an, an, uh, a corporate view, um, there, there, there also tends to be a lot of resentment. They're asking me to do something. Who's them? You know, who's there? Like, uh, it, it, to, to, um, to work as an organism, to work as a body, uh, I think is real, real important. Um, communication. We use CCB here, the Church Community Builder. Not perfect, right? It's not. Um, there are a lot of there are a lot of flaws for it. And maybe a time that we will have to rethink what it looks like. Um, but uh, if we abandon it, it will always fail. <laughs> but if we start using it, um, I think we can have a better understanding of is it going to be right for us. All right, I've, I've already hinted a lot of the team dynamic and things I, I want us to think about as a, as a team. Um, it, it'll always be a struggle to think about a uh, think team rather than personal ingenuity. You'll need to self-consciously plan to think team 
um, as you work on a project. But the benefits are more people get involved, which means more gifts. Not only more gifts, um, but uh, gifts used appropriately. Um, no Christian is a foot and an eye. It seems more efficient in the short term. Um, teams do lighten the load once roles are defined. Uh, it'll add stability and um, promote leadership development. What are some other advantages to a team approach? Yeah. Yeah, right. You're getting to be more life on life. I mean, when we talk about the SLB, they're not simply team leaders. Um, they are disciplers of their team. Um, you shouldn't think of yourself simply as leading a particular team, but as uh, that's the flock that God's given you. And a lot of great discipleship opportunities there. When we avoid the team approach, we te- tend to think of our own strengths and weaknesses, and that means our ministry is limited to our weaknesses. Um, we, we can't do that as a team, well, because you're oftentimes only thinking about what you can do. Um, fewer gifts involved in the project becomes harder to transfer leadership. Um, but working as a team is a non-negotiable in being a leader. Uh, recruitment, again, one of the hardest things um, that we do here is try to help people recruit. Um, your number one asset in recruiting is your excitement for your team. If you believe in what you're doing, if you think this thing has You may not enjoy it particularly, but if you see its value in the overall ministry of this church and and you are genuinely um, convinced that this is essential, if you're not, then, hey, argue that it should be dropped. Let's talk. (laughs) Maybe you're doing something that you're serving in some way that that isn't essential. But but if you are convinced of that and you're serving in that because of that, then that's your greatest asset in recruiting people. Again, when you say, hey, uh, could you in your announcements recruit for my team, again, you make it into a corporate view of the church, um, but also people don't respond to that as much as a personal conversations. Um, yeah. Yep. That's. Yep. Personal invitations um, are key in recruiting. Um, very few will respond to something that's generic. Um, you'll get new information every time somebody new joins. These team leaders will get a crop of people they can recruit. But if you only wait for that, um, you're going to miss out on uh, leaders that are available. Uh, it's been a pattern here that if you want to recruit, you get an announcement in the village. And then if you really want to recruit, you get a pastor or the yeah. yeah. verbal. Right. The only purpose of that is not to supplant everything he's talking about. The only purpose of that is to validate your conversation that you're going to have personally. Yep. You bring, really you bring credence to the team and the thing. Yeah. I 
someone. Um, and you may not know that's going on, but someone is doing that if you're not. Yeah. Yeah, and, and um, also as a leader, you should start to uh, grow beyond your clique. Um, you know, because oftentimes people just recruit out of their friends and who they know and who they feel like will likes them personally. But if you're only limited to that, um, you're going to run out of people very quickly. And in fact, the people who are in leadership often only know other leaders who are doing a lot. And oftentimes I hear, well, everybody I know is serving so much. And I'm like, well, step back. There are lots of people on the fringes who aren't who are new and who'd love to get involved and do stuff. Um, and so if you're only seeing people that are – everybody around you is very burned out, then um, take a step back and look at some people you don't know and, and get to know them. And uh, number three, invite them to serve for a period of time. Trial period. Say, hey, look, this will be three months or this will be six months. Just, just try it. Do it enough so you can, you can get the feel of what it's like. Um, but that will be a great asset in, in, um, in recruiting. And establish a goal um, for recruitment. Um, Goals and visions are different. Your goal um, is going to how you accomplish it. Vision is what you desire. So um, if you desire to have 10 people on your team, uh, that's your vision. And your goal is going to be what you're going to do to plan to recruit um, for that. You can work the, – the goal is what you can control. You can't control the vision. You can have the vision set out what you desire, but you, you can control the goal. And then leave it up a lot of times for God to, to work in somebody's heart, which may exceed your vision even. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, I think going back to transitions. Um, some people imply that it is, but who, if you have the mentality to say, oh, I agreed to do this, but uh, now I'm stuck in perpetuity to it, you've misunderstood the call to leadership. It's you're part of an organization. So think about it's now your responsibility to transition. On day one, you should think, okay, I've got this, but I should start thinking of if I ever want the occasion to move out of it, I should take the responsibility. Because what tends to happen is, okay, I'll take it. I'm stuck in this. Oh, I, I got to get out. Somebody else, find somebody to take it because I want to get out. So um, look, I, I'm doing like real gross character characterizations, and it usually happens a lot sweeter and nicer than that so but i'm just trying to lay it on the front end here as you're thinking about ministry to approach it in a way that says we're a family and we have responsibilities and that responsibility often means thinking about how i might want to transition to something else i want to serve we've had some beautiful experiences where people served in one area and say you know what i'd love to serve in a different area i think uh, cafe was that with patty she moved into fellowship um and worked with Cameron to, to set him up in that. And it was a great transition that can happen. Didn't leave. Usually when you get burned out and you leave, you, you leave into nothing and you don't serve at all. Um, but if you, trans, if you can think about transition, then you can even think about serving in different areas. It keeps you a lot fresher, um, more engaged with what you're doing. Um, team distribution of, of responsibilities. Again, like, like with parenting, um, sometimes it starts with them observing and then participating, and then giving them super, you know, supervision as they do it, and then delegation. Um, so that's, that's all part of a plan. Obstacles to delegation, and we've already talked about it. Um, if you say, but I like how I do it, your team will always be just limited to how you do it, and it will just be limited to you, and you will get burned out. Um, as long as that's the case, um, your vision will be limited to your time and your abilities. 
Um, if you say, well, they all lack, tra- uh, I, I lack time to, to train people um, or they lack training, then delegate the things that you can delegate so that you can focus on training. Um, that's a major point. That's, that's, that's really essential to start thinking long term. All right, um, quickly, issues in, leader, in leading teams. This, this goes with all teams, but I think especially for community groups or Bible studies if you're in them. Um, guard against polarizing issues. Now, on the one hand, I'll say every issue is a gospel issue eventually because um, the gospel is not just the ABCs. It's the A through Zs. It's the entire alphabet. Yes, that's true. But there are some issues that can come up, especially if you're trying to go for a particular goal in, in the discipleship opportunity that will just knock you off. Um, the uh, RUF uses the rocket ship as an illustration, which I think is helpful. Um, the mission, where the rocket is pointing, is the gospel ministry. And it's fueled by scripture, sanctification, justification, and sanctification. That's, that's the fuel of the rocket to get to the gospel ministry. But then divisive issues, you can think of them, right? You're teaching on uh, how someone is, uh, you're teaching about assurance and all of a sudden you get the question about abortion or you get the question about politics or you get the question about whatever. Now, all those can be topics themselves and they could be addressed in a gospel-centered way. But sometimes they come out in ways that will just get off the mission of what you're about in that particular study. Um, and so it's important to say how, how we keep it focused, how we can take these polarizing issues and, um, and marginalize them and, and get back on track. Um, sometimes that, can, that, that just needs a lot of leadership and intentionality that when they come up in the midst of a study or when they come up generally in ministry, that you can guide people back to saying, you know what, what we're about here, we're, we're focusing on this, this particular study. Let's talk later. Let's, let's deal with this another time to keep it focused. Otherwise, it'll derail um, gospel ministry as we're trying to do it here. Does that make sense? I mean, sometimes that can, that can come, be very difficult to navigate interpersonally, but it's essential or else ministry can really devolve. Uh, all right, how about dealing with antagonism? Talking about group situations here. Um, antagonists are individuals who, on the basis of some evidence, go out of their way to make um, demands, um, oftentimes attacking the persons and performances of others. Um, so how do you deal with antagonism? Uh, the danger is to fall into a persecution complex. Um, you can say this is all against me and, and take it personally. Um, or to allow a few dissenting voices to color your perception leading to discouragement in your, in your mission or cause you to be suspicious about everybody or to lose confidence in your calling. So if you're dealing with a lot of antagonism, um, watch out not to make it personal, um, not to, uh, to see this as, um, as a direct correlation to who you are and, and what God has called you to do. Um, dealing with antagonism, you need good friends that you can trust um, that can say, yes, they got something valid there, or uh, no, you need to stay on point with what you're, what you're about and what you're called to. Um, you need the cover from solid church leadership. Again, working within an organization, an organism, to have the, the structure there saying, you're doing something healthy here, um, stick with it, um, or 
yes, let me work with you on this. Um, so you're not taking it personally, but it's about the ministry itself. Um, and then you need a plan. How do you plan to respond to an antagonist, especially um, someone who wants to control the situation with their antagonism? Um, and there, there's just some helpful hints. I'm not going to go through them all, but just helpful ways, strategies to, um, to deal with somebody whose intention is to, de- to derail um, what's going on. Uh, also, in the midst of anti- antagonism um, and leadership, all good leadership, you need to make uh, decisions that um, sometimes will be seen as subjective. It will seem as though it's your opinion when you're trying to make uh, leadership decisions in the midst of a church. Um, but you need to rely on biblical wisdom and sound arguments. Um, be careful not to make it based on selfish desires or problematic logic, like a slippery slope argument. Um, when we, this is essential. Even if in the midst of a team you make an argument solidly based on biblical wisdom, think about how you articulate that vision to others. If you're just saying it haphazardly, it could come across as in your own personal desires and how you want to lead this ministry, not as uh, this is a piece to something greater that God's calling us to do and that we've really worked through this um, in biblical wisdom. Um, And then measuring success. Again, um, one of the hardest things about ministry is um, success defined in worldly terms, um, can just destroy us. It can either either lead us into bad ministry practices that will be very successful, um, or it can lead us to discouragement in the midst of trying to do things faithfully um, if it's not responded to in the way others define success. Whether we realize it or not, uh, this is Steve Childers, you have a specific definition of personal success, and that definition of success greatly affects your life. It affects what you worry about, what your stress levels, your sense of personal fulfillment. What's that sound like? Idolatry, yeah. Success is often a gateway to understanding your your idol, your view of success. False views of success are usually quantitative, not qualitative, but and built around things like career achievement and personal recognition. Um so what's most important in a criteria for success in ministry? Money. Of course. No. And popularity, money, numbers, all those things, um, they're going to drive you crazy. Um, now, um, I've loaded up some scriptures there on, on uh, what godly success should look like. Um, Definition of success for a spiritual leader, faithfully pleasing God with the resources and responsibilities that he has given you in conformity to the teachings and practices of Christ as related to the particular vocation service for the ultimate good of Christ and his church. Okay. Um, That's going to mean that your success um, sees it relative to the holistic picture of what God's doing in ministry, in your church, in the context of what he's given you. Um, that's your responsibility. That's what um, ultimately says success is up to God. He's in control of the whole thing. Principles that lead to a faulty view of success. Um, we've all heard primitivism, right? 
We need to get back to the way the early church did it at one particular time. Now, the church, you could go back really far um, to the very core, and um, there were problems, right? Judas was there as one of the 12. Like, you don't have to, you don't have to go. Uh, there, there was no, no um, special time, and even trying to recover that um, can be really dangerous. The uh, opposite end of the spectrum, modernism. If it's newer, it's truer, and uh, it's better. Um, look at our church. We've done, you know, whatever thing that, that makes it relevant. I mean, relevance is another um, very tempting thing. Um, the gospel will tell you very flatly sometimes that you are not relevant to the people around you. Um, and especially unless the Holy Spirit's at work in their life, you're going to feel irrelevant. Um, so don't let relevance drive you. Populism. Um, popularity often confused with truth or best practices. How could all those people having that experience be wrong? How could all those people who are following such and such be wrong? Whether that's, I won't name names. Um, whoever it is that, I mean, drawing big crowds. Now, you might say that, look, God can use part of that. There, there may be truth in it, but that's not a practice you're going to follow because um, following it based on those reasons is not um, faithfulness, what Christ calls you to. Pragmatism. Oftentimes, I think we've talked about this, what works is confused with what is right. Um, that, that's going to be deadly as we think about ministry, but also the, probably the most tempting fruit is to say, you know what, if I do it this way, I know, I know I'm going to get numbers or people to agree with me um, or the change that I desire. Isolation. Personal interest pushes the agenda regardless of the whole community. Any questions about that stuff? All right. I, I was really trying to end on time so that I could cover time management. Um, it's the irony of putting that last, really. Um, all right. So time management, something everybody, um, it seems, between Bo uh, Boston and New York uh, struggles with. It is the idol of our area um, in particular. Um, and there are certain warning signs that you have a problem with this, um, that these are things that, that, um, that go beyond simply the work that God has put, you, put in front of you that you need to be faithful with. Um, they will spill out in the lack of quality personal relationships with significant others. Um, you know, there are certain things that people can do in their life situation um, that you, if you're in a different life situation, cannot do because of calling. Um, if you're called as a father uh, of young children or mother of young children, that's going to put a different set. Uh, that's going to the equation is going to be a little bit different than somebody who's single. Uh, marriage puts a different calling on you. Singleness is a different calling. It allows you to to chop this up in a different way. But any time that um, your callings get impinged or nullified because of your time management is, is, a, is a warning sign that you're in danger. Lack of contentment at the end of the day or the end of the week or the end of the year um, shows that there's problems with uh, time management. Busyness without accomplishment. Tyranny of the urgent. The thing that has a deadline always must be done rather than stepping back and thinking holistically what needs to be done. 
um, constantly being late to a, uh, or missing appointments, emotional instability. If you're constantly talking about time, that's a sign that there's a problem. And inability to control a time robber. Uh, guys, identifying time robbers can be really helpful in, um, in starting to address some of your uh, time management problems. Um, procrastination, interruptions with people without appointments, poor delegation, paper shuffling where you just you do things that feel like you're being productive without actually being productive. Um, time spent on praise-related accomplishments rather than value-related accomplishments. If you know you're going to get a good response by putting yourself into one thing, but it's more important to do the thing that's not going to be seen, um, you know, you can build a house without laying a foundation, but, uh, and it may get you a lot of praise at building it very fast, but the thing's going to crumble very soon. Um, and same thing with a lot of areas of our life. Um, and some basic common wisdom in managing our time. Um, create a personal life statement. Now, it doesn't have to be as cheesy as it um, can come across, but have a sense of who you are and what God has called you to be, um, a direction you're going in, and, what, and that shaping priorities, the sense of calling shaping how you spend your time. Know your rhythm, uh, sorry, establish a proper balance between work and leisure. Um, one in seven is a pretty good pattern. Um, you know, and we could go on and on about Sabbath. Um, you know, I think the probably, I could say, if I was to say one thing about Sabbath that I think gets overlooked, um, oftentimes Sabbath is, is seen as recharging batteries for work. Guys, when Sabbath is recharging batteries for work, you're using, you're, you're just trying to manage your work better. Um, I mean, if it's rest just to give you more energy to face Monday, it's not, it doesn't lead you to serving God with your rest. Um, you may need to rest for other reasons, but um, part of what the Sabbath is is step back from the work and say it's not that important, not to serve it more with giving it more resources. Um, but that balance is, is really important. Um, know your rhythm and mac- maximum effectiveness. So if you try to muscle your way through doing something effectively in a time of day when you know you're not going to be effective, you're going to be wasting time. Um, have realistic expectations, discern good versus best priorities, um, remembering that relational goals will never Im- impose a deadline until it's too late. Um, boy, you know, that, that can preach right there. Um, you'll never be able to sense when you're being poorly managing and ignoring relationships um, until you uh, have completely blown it. Evaluate um, your productivity in light of biblical values, um, not opposed to the success stuff that we've talked about in the past. All right, so very, that was very quick. Um, questions about uh, leadership, called to be a leader? Um, we now are left with uh, one final uh, section, and that's taking the response to this. Um, what, how do we respond to what we've heard in this? And Preston's going to come up and bring it home. Mm-hmm.